Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland, and joining me today over several nodes so I can't actually track her real whereabouts, Shannon Morse. Hi, how are you doing, Jonathan? I'm great, but you're just, you're so crazy with the hacks. You're so, oh, yeah. so good at typing random strings on your keyboard and, and always one step ahead of me. Well, you know, if you've ever visited hackertyper.net, I believe it is, you will know exactly how to hack. Excellent. I'm glad that I'm glad now because I've been wondering for years, uh, guys, we've had Shannon on the show a few times. And today it's a real treat, really, because uh, we're going to talk about some examples of hacking in pop culture and some of the ones that are incredibly awful, just terrible, inaccurate ways of showing how hacking works, as well as talk about something to get it more right than not right, which is kind of awesome. And, I mean, to start off, we have to admit, the real world of hacking, while the, the results can be quite dramatic and have a huge effect, the process itself is not always cinematic. Nope, it is not. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty boring. There's just a bunch of text on the screen, and that's about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's coding, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of coding involved, a lot of Python and uh, Bash scripts and things of that nature, and a lot of terminal work. So you don't see uh, very much GUI or graphical user interface usage whenever you're uh, running some kind of hack implementation. A lot of times it's just terminal. Right. And, you know, I understand the need to stretch the truth when you're trying to create a, a really thrilling movie or TV show and you want to have something interesting to look at. And having your characters look at lines of code and going through a, a process of trying to, uh, to, to create some sort of exploit for a vulnerability, that doesn't really hold a lot of people like on the edge of their seat. So I get it, but it is kind of a, a problem. And I should also mention, we're using the word hacker today a lot. Uh, but of course, as I, I try to mention every time I talk about hacking, hacking is a very broad term. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing anything illegal. And it certainly doesn't even mean that you're necessarily working on a computer. You could be doing some hardware hacks that aren't related to software. Uh, that's important to remember. But but as far as Hollywood is concerned, there's really only one kind of hacking, and that involves trying to break into a place that you're not supposed to be in. <laughs> of course, because those are the most interesting people. They're the scary ones, and people are afraid of what they don't understand. Right, and uh, I, I imagine that a lot of screenwriters are particularly scared of hackers, because <laughs> it's one, it's clear that they have no understanding whatsoever about it. And uh, two, I mean, we've seen, especially recently, we've seen some very big stories about uh, the entertainment industry running, uh, running away from hackers attacking, and whether it's a hacker who's actually gaining access to a system, or it was someone who was on the inside who just managed to exploit their access in the first place, which I would argue really isn't a hack. It's just kind of industrial sabotage at that point. But uh, the right. Sony story would be the big example, right? 
Yeah, the Sony story, I think, put a lot of fear in the entertainment industry. And I feel like the entertainment industry as a whole, with very few exceptions, are uh, one of the genres that is the farthest behind when it comes to their own security and privacy. Uh, they're, they're the farthest behind when it comes to a lot of things, including how they treat their women. Yes. But <laughs> I think that it's something that they really need to start focusing on and start understanding not only for their own security like with for their employees for the actors and actresses that work there uh, for these different companies but also because they need to understand how to actually portray it so that more people understand it as a whole and aren't so afraid right and so we're going to dive into a discussion of some of the uh, more entertaining and uh, often wildly inaccurate uh, versions of hacking in film and TV. Uh, I should also give a shout out. A lot of people on my Twitter feed suggested that I check out a subreddit. Uh, the subreddit is it's a Unix system, which is a reference to Jurassic Park. Uh, if you remember, the young lady runs up to a computer. She takes one look at it. She says, it's a Unix system. I know this. And then she's immediately looking at a graphic user interface and uh, identifying one block out of like 50 blocks that are on the screen and immediately makes the conclusion that all the files for the entire island are accessible from that one terminal. Uh, I don't know how she knows that. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that you can, you, you automatically know that everything available on the island is on that one drive somehow. I feel like the only way you would know that it, it, is if you were the information security professional that is working for that company <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure she was not. I, uh, yeah, no, she uh, she, did, so, she seemed like she was a little too young to be an, uh, a full-time employee <laughs> at that point. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so Jurassic Park, while it lends the, the, uh, the quote, it's a Unix system to the subreddit, I didn't really include it on this list. Uh, there is one other incredibly famous example that I've talked about on a previous episode of Tech Stuff that we will hit. But first, I'm going to talk about a movie. I haven't actually seen this movie, but I have seen the sequences that involve hacking. Uh, that movie is The Core. And in the first sequence I wanted to talk about, there's a character whose handle is Rat, which could be, you know, like Remote Access Trojan or Remote Access Terminal, depending upon what acronym you want to look at. Often one that is associated with hacking and rat is caught by the FBI. The sequence in which he's caught, he's trying desperately to erase all traces of his activities. Uh, he's got tons and tons of computers and he's using massive magnets to try and wipe drives. And he's uh, throwing uh, CD-ROM discs into a microwave and turning it on <laughs> high, you know, the typical stuff we do when the feds come knocking. Uh, I love this. But, it, but my favorite bit about this little sequence is he then is taken to an interrogation. And as he's being interrogated, he just casually reaches over and grabs a guy's cell phone out of his little holster or his pocket or whatever. But the guy's like, oh, it's just a cell phone. What can he do with that? Well, Shannon, you know what people can do with so – I mean, if you have physical access to a cell phone, it's – game over but oh yeah <laughs> but but what what this guy does he doesn't do something to to get hold of the guy's contacts he doesn't and this is also pre-smartphone it's really a cell phone he doesn't do anything like that what he does is he takes a little um a little chewing gum wrapper he dials a couple of numbers on the phone and then he uses the chewing gum wrapper to make a 
weird little whistling humming noise, and then casually closes the phone, tosses it back to the guy, and says, that phone's got free long distance on it forever. <laughs> That's, uh... I love this. 100% accurate to real life. That's exactly oh. how it works. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this is uh, kind of a comparison to what people would actually do, which was called phone freaking. And this was like before hacking became a really big popular norm that you would see in like online media that you see in this day. Yeah. Uh, so back in the day, this guy named Captain Crunch, uh, he got his online screen name from opening up a Captain Crunch cereal box and getting out a little, I believe it was a kazoo or something similar to that. Yeah, it was like a whistle. And he was able to recreate or reproduce the kind of tone that you could put into a payphone to allow you to make free long-distance calls. So they're using that real-life scenario to their advantage in this this movie, The Core, and making it seem like you can do the same thing with a gum wrapper. Now, personally, I don't believe that you can do the same thing with a gum wrapper. That seems a little bit odd. I know that you can make noises with things like that. You can also do the same thing with a piece of grass if you want to. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, yeah. You can you can entertain yourself in uh, like a third grade kind of way for hours at a time. Yes. But, yeah. Phone freaking really worked on landlines. They worked when the uh, the phone system wasn't fully digital yet. It was a much different system. I mean, there, and there's some very famous people who got their start as phone freaks. I mean, Steve Wozniak was in that world. The the right. the great Woz was one of the freakers of uh, back in the 70s. And uh, so but it was it was sort of the same thing that you would talk about hackers today. They weren't necessarily trying to game the system. They were trying to figure out how does this work? Like, right. They were, they were just messing with things. They were trying to reverse engineer them and figure out how they work and put them back together and let them let these different pieces of technology do things that they weren't necessarily supposed to do. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about hacking. Uh, but then you bring it to Hollywood and they're like, oh, these are scary people. They're all going to end up in the FBI's hands. And that's not necessarily true. Right. And and to to take something that worked on landlines on a payphone basis using uh, a whistle that had – I think he even modified it slightly so it would make exactly the tone he needed to replicate the tones that the phone company was using in order to allow for this kind of thing to happen – yeah, it would never work on the cell phone range at all. So, and uh, and also <laughs> just just what a weird line. Like, this phone's got free long distance on it forever. And you think there's gotta be multiple ways a phone company would say, "Hey, <laughs> something weird's yeah. going on with this one line." <laughs> but uh, oh, but it's so good. The core the core also has another great scene in it with that same hacker, same guy, Rat. Uh, uh, and when I see him, I always think uh, he's he's the he's a character who also or he's an actor who also play, shows up as a character on the show um, Supernatural as a weird, reedy looking uh, uh, demon killer guy that you would just expect to get completely obliterated the first time he shows up. But he turns out to be more capable than you would consider based upon his appearance. Anyway, he walks into a cyber cafe He's got a, a CD-ROM. Uh, uh, I think it even says Kung Fu on it, if I'm not mistaken. And he puts yes, it, it did. <laughs> puts it into a, a cyber cafe computer. And after like leaning back and putting his hand up to his face for about five seconds, it ends up uh, 
completely uh, taking over not just his computer, but the entire local network. And all of the screens in the cyber cafe pop up with this image of his rat network, where he has taken over all the computers. I don't even know exactly why he's trying to take over all the computers, apart from just seeing lots and lots of uh, what appears to be news footage, which, spoiler alert, there's a thing we can use to get that news footage. It's called a TV. <laughs> uh, you can use that without having to hack any systems. But uh, it's it's just a weird little moment where he's taken over all the computers in the cyber cafe. Now, let's let's go ahead and make some things clear. Shannon, I know that you've addressed this on on multiple episodes and and uh other ways of reaching out to your audience. There are certain things you should be concerned about when you go and log into any kind of local area network, um any kind of open Wi-Fi. If you're going to a coffee shop and you're using that kind of Wi-Fi, you need to be more um, aware of potential security problems. Yes, it- absolutely. It's it's very easy if you're on uh, your local coffee shop's network or your local hotel's network for anybody to snoop on what you're doing. Uh, you may be using HTTPS, but that's not going to keep somebody from understanding what sites you are visiting, mm-hmm. uh, But even though that data may be encrypted. However, they're still collecting that encrypted information, and it, it, it really just depends on how a website that you're visiting is encrypting that information, whether or not they would be able to decrypt it after a specific amount of time. Right. Uh, so I always tell people if they're going to use a you know, hotel Wi-Fi or a coffee shop Wi-Fi to use a VPN, use some way to tunnel your traffic from point A to point B so that nobody else on that network will be able to see what you're doing. They may see that you're logged on. They may see your IP address, but they won't know exactly what's going on with your traffic while you're connected. Uh, so, and I'm pretty sure that everybody who generally uses these Wi-Fi uh, networks that are available for free aren't necessarily using VPNs, but it's it's a huge security risk for pretty much every consumer out there that's using these Wi-Fi networks. Right. And whereas in the core, you know, we were talking, it's, it's really hardwired computers that are part of the cyber cafe. You just sit down at a terminal and log in so that you have access to yeah. everything on that machine. That's... Scary too. I mean, it's it's kind of like using a uh, computer at the library. You want to be very careful about the kinds of activities you do on that machine, um, because it's not really yours, and you don't really, exactly. you know, and you don't want to go so far to cover your tracks that you're actually causing problems for the real purpose of that machine. Uh, still not quite sure what he was trying to do. It was like he was setting up his own little botnet. Uh, also, if you are setting up a botnet, probably a bad idea to have a graphic pop up on everyone's screen saying, hey, your computer's mine now. Yeah, so it's uh, in today's age, it is very uh, popular for people to use ransomware, which will basically announce its its presence. availability on yeah. your computer. Yeah, it'll announce its presence on your machine to let the user know, hey, I've just encrypted all the information, all the photos, all the documents that is on your computer. Now you have to pay me like one Bitcoin to get your data back. And then you pay that Bitcoin and you may or may not get your data back. So, you know, ransomware, it's a big thing. But in the case of this one, in the case of RAT, 
yes, you can install like malware or something like that on a CD. That's entirely possible. You mm-hmm. can put pretty much anything on a CD. Uh, and then it looks like he's, he's running this CD through the entire network, uh, which you can install malware through pivoting a network's, uh, open ports or o- open IPs so that you can put the same malware on several different computers. But it's it's never a good idea to let everybody know what the heck you're doing if you're doing something that you shouldn't necessarily be doing in the first place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, again, you're, it's, it's there for dramatic effect. But uh, if you're the one person in the cyber cafe who isn't visibly freaking out when all the computers switch over, here's a, here's a little hint. They're going to figure out it was you, right? <laughs> I mean, that... That's kind of like if you're the one guy not surprised that everything's on fire, you probably set the fire. I'm just saying. Our next example comes from one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, my gosh. Me, too. I love this movie. The Net. Yes. Oh, it's so great. It's so cheesy and wonderful. Uh, The Net also is is a movie in which a character actually has her identity stolen and very prescient for its time. It's not like it got everything wrong. Some of the stuff it actually predicted quite well. For example, best prediction of any movie ever, it predicted being able to order pizza online. <laughs> um, this was before the the dot-com bubble even began. This The movie came out in the mid-90s. So this was actually pretty advanced. They, they, the people behind the film said, we wanted to be able to let our character make an activity online that would stress how she was uh, distancing herself from other people. She was trying her best to limit the amount of interaction she had with other human beings. It uh, it stresses her loneliness, uh, also her paranoia uh, to some extent. Uh, and, and it was a neat way of doing it, and it also ended up being accurate. However, that being said, there's a bit in the very beginning, it's right when she's going to order pizza, when she's on the phone with a client and she does essentially tech support and really helps people who have been uh, attacked by a virus recover their systems. Uh, and it takes her like no time at all to identify what the virus is on this customer's computer, which, which she does not have access to. She's, she's, she's accessing it remotely. She identifies the virus. She sequesters the virus. She removes the virus. Plus, apparently does repairs to the system so it goes so it starts working again and that takes her less time than it would take for her to order the pizza <laughs> that's incredible i mean she should every security firm should hire her <laughs> she's a genius apparently yeah uh, so so i li- like making the comparison between sandra bullock's character in the net to an actual penetration tester that we have in the 2000s or in the t- 2010s uh in the 2010s penetration testers go through contracts they go through a company they're usually hired on by a large firm to go through their security and make sure everything's okay they have to write reports everything has to go through a financial financialist before they're actually paid for any of their work, they don't actually discuss how much they're getting paid with the client. They discuss how much they're getting paid with the company that they are salaried through. Uh, so in the case of Sandra Bullock's character here, she's talking about, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, he's like, yeah, I'm going to you know pay X amount of money. And he's like, I don't care how much it costs. It's worth it. And that's not necessarily something that you would talk to the penetration tester about. Right. Uh, because when you do, they're going to make their 
they're going to make their time with you as a client much longer to make it seem like a much more important case. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you do, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like what Scotty would say is that he'd say he'd figure out how long it was going to take him to do a task. And then he yes. would then he would give the captain a time that was longer than what it would take him to do. In that case, it wasn't so that he could get overtime. It was so that he could impress the captain by finishing early. Right. He's like, I told you it's going to take me three days, but I, I I really put my nose to the grindstone and got it done in a day and a half. And, exactly. the, ca- and the captain's impressed. Like, wow, you're amazing. In this case, it would be, yeah, that's probably going to take me, you know, uh, I don't know, a week's worth of work and you're done in, you know, five hours. And then you're just billing the time. <laughs> right. So, so during this conversation that these two have, it sounds like she's a, like she's a red teamer, like she's a penetration tester that works for a big security firm. And she's, she's talking to her client though. Uh, but, but her actions make me think that she's a freelancer. So I'm not sure what's going on here. I think that the, that it was produced a little bit confusingly. Yeah. Um, but now that I understand how penetration testing works, even though I am not one myself, uh, I was quite confused by this scene. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I think it was out of all the errors that we're talking about today, it's one of the, the less egregious because, again, unless you were to show like that time had obviously passed a significant amount so that she had had time to really identify what was happening and then respond to it, uh, it's not that big a deal compared to some of the other uh, versions that we've got in this episode. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to give this one a pass. It's not as bad as it could have been. It's certainly not as bad as the next one. Oh my gosh. Can we just talk about NCIS? Yeah, let's talk about NCIS for a bit because uh you know, NCIS uh, first of all, it has one of the most infamous awful hacking scenes in Hollywood and so much so that that there are multiple versions of the clip we're going to talk about on YouTube. Uh, my favorite titled Two Idiots, One Keyboard. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's talk about NCIS for a second here. So we've got we've got a character in NCIS who is sort of she's the the young hip hacker character who uh, is the one responding in this particular scene to an attack that's coming in. That attack is being represented by lots and lots of pop-ups of just strings of characters uh, meaninglessly appearing all over her her uh, computer monitor. And her response is that each one of these is absolutely meaningful, and she knows exactly what's happening. The hacker is attacking their systems and trying to get at very... Uh, uh, very secure data and is quickly winnowing through all the different security. And uh, so she's just furiously typing on her keyboard in response. And her coworker who's standing next to her and asking her questions and giving her suggestions uh, that don't necessarily mean very much ends up deciding to help her out by simultaneously typing on the same keyboard she's typing on. So you have four (laughs) hands typing on the same keyboard at the same time. So bad. Dear Hollywood, that is not how keyboards work. <laughs> a computer can't tell which person is typing which thing. It would just come out as a super garbled mess. Not to mention the frustration. Like, have you ever had somebody come up and just like start pressing 
keys on your keyboard because it, it's very irritating. It is. There's no way that these two characters would be able to type on the same keyboard at the same time. That's ridiculous. It feels like a violation when someone does that to me. Like, like yeah. if, they, if they're like move, even if it if it's, if it's preceded by move, I'll show you. I'm like, no, no, you'll tell me, and then I'll do it. <laughs> this is my computer, and I don't let you touch it. Yeah, this was uh, one of those sequences where really the whole purpose of this scene was to show how a non-tech-savvy, pragmatic guy has a solution to a problem that the two tech wizards completely overlook. So in a way, it's it's about taking down the the tech wizard folks a peg or two because they're not thinking practically. They're too filled with panic. So you've got these two characters who are responding in real time to a security threat. Uh, as if they're doing battle with the hacker. And this is a common thread in a lot of television and movies that's not terribly uh, accurate in the real-world scenarios. But they are they are acting like the keystrokes they're doing are going to uh, end up either booting the hacker out or securing some of the data away from the hacker, and it, they're just furiously typing when the pragmatic guy walks behind the computer system and unplugs it, thus <laughs> saving them from the hack because now there's no connection for the hacker to exploit. Except what he did was actually make it worse because now they don't have a computer that they can work through to hopefully uh, find the hack, find the open port that this guy is coming through, this attacker, and close it off. So... <laughs> He's unplugging a computer as opposed to going to the server and cutting that off and turning off the server. He's just unplugging one of the open PCs. Right. And that just oh, drives me nuts. This ent- Okay, I wanted to throw things at my TV when I was watching this scene because I was like, this is so bad. It's yeah. so bad. Yeah, this one. this one's probably, out of all the ones that we have, this one's probably maybe not the worst, but it's way up there. Uh, and it's, 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 it's clearly played for laughs, at least a little bit for laughs. Maybe not like outright belly laughs. Like, you know, anyone who knows what a computer is, is probably chuckling. Uh, but I, it's obviously played for this little moment where the pragmatic character can kind of be a smug jerk face and be like, haha, see, I thought of it first. And the other two characters are like, no, why didn't we think of that? And as, <laughs> as Shannon points out, because it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. Yeah, I, uh, I, I highly recommend if anyone is unfamiliar with this, go look for NCIS 2 It Hits One Keyboard and watch this scene. And really appreciate it. I also liked when I was reading comments about this. One of the comments I read in that subreddit was the part of the scene that completely pulls me out of it is the fact that when the guy takes a bite of his sandwich, it's such a tiny little bite. Uh, It lost (laughs) it lost all credibility with me there. No one eats a sandwich like that. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Redditors are great. Um, Now, next on our list is Swordfish, which actually has quite a few awful, awful hacking scenes, some of which involve material not appropriate for this podcast. And so I did not include those scenes when I wrote to you. Yeah, there's one in particular where a guy is being tested to see if his hacking skills are elite enough to join uh, Travolta's team. It is awful. It is terrible in so many ways. But I, that one was so bad that I was like, no, I can't. That's not going on the list. So instead, I looked at a different one. And Hugh Jackman's playing the hacker. 
and he's trying to get access to uh, a system. And the way that they decided to depict this was they show a little cube on the screen, and he's building onto this cube with other cubes to make what looks like essentially a Rubik's Cube-sized digital construct. It's all virtual. There's no actual physical cubes. Uh, And this is what represents getting access to a system, uh, somehow building a three-dimensional virtual object out of smaller three-dimensional virtual objects. Now, Shannon, is that in fact how that that looks like when you're trying to access a system you you were you're uh, confronted with a rubik's cube that you have to construct virtually yeah so i'm going to say uh no shucks <laughs> so for me this looks like they are trying to show their viewers a graphical compilation of what coding would look like once you final finally compile your code and you get the aok that everything is okay and there are no errors so that's what it looks like to me. Um, if you see actual code, if you see somebody building a virus or building a worm, or it, like in this case, uh, Hugh Jackman's character is building a worm, uh, you'll see lines and line, hundreds of lines of code. And then at the end, they'll probably choose, like go into the GUI and choose to compile code. And then it'll, the, the interface that they're using will give them the okay and tell them that there are no errors. But in this case, he's building a Rubik's Cube. It, on his computer, and it looks nothing like what actual compilation looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Compiling code is uh, so to give to give you guys a little bit of a insight into how computers quote unquote think. We use computer languages in order to construct programs, and the computer languages are written in such a way that a computer understands what operation it needs to perform in order to progress through the program. Ultimately, that stuff gets compiled, and, and you, you have, like, high-level computer languages and low-level computer languages, uh, and then you eventually get down to the point where you get to machine code, and that's where you're getting into the, the binary codes, zeros and ones, where most humans, the vast majority of humans, nearly all humans, are not capable of reading that, <laughs> at least at least not with a whole lot of time on their hands. Right. <laughs> uh, so w- that's why we have these programming languages, to kind of bridge the gap between the language that computers speak and the languages that we speak. So if you're completely unfamiliar with coding languages or programming languages and you take a look at it, it looks like nonsense, right? It, 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 it For someone who is completely unschooled, it looks like you would have to be a genius in order to use it. But in fact, it follows very specific rules. So once you learn those rules, you know, it does take, there is a learning curve, but you do get to a point where you start feeling a little confident with that stuff. Exactly. Uh, And there's plenty of programmers that I know who never learn every single rule in a specific language that they know, uh, but they they have books and books. They have, you know, de- definitions and posters and things of this nature so that they always have a reminder so they're able to write uh, different kinds of programs. But as long as you know a few general rules for any language that you're working with, you can write a program. It's it's very hard. It is very complicated, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. So it's not going to look like you're building a cube. Unless, of course, your program, once executed, is a cube-building program. In which case, (laughs) if it looks like you're building a cube, congratulations, you coded it correctly. Um, But (laughs) otherwise, that's not going to happen. Our next one is one of my favorite examples of of bad hacking because it takes me back to my childhood. I had a discussion with some of my, my coworkers here about this particular movie, and some of them 
couldn't remember ever seeing it. Some of them remembered seeing it as a kid on video. I remember seeing this in the theater because I'm old. Superman 3. So in Superman 3, you've got uh, a character played by Richard Pryor who is a computer programmer. And he goes to work for a company. And uh, he's a he's a data entry guy. For some reason, the data entry folks at this company all have to wear, like, slippers and stuff. It's almost like it's a clean room. Like, kind of a clean room, but not really a clean room. And yeah. he finds out that everyone in the company is paid uh, – their, their payment involves fractions of a cent that end up getting rounded down. So if this sounds like office space, it's very much the same sort of plot. He figures out, hey, what if I took all the fractions of a cent that otherwise go unaccounted? They're just floating around out there. And I pay myself all those fractions of a cent so that I make a real huge amount of money because once you accumulate all of them, it actually amounts to something significant. But because each individual little appearance of it is tiny, no one takes notice of it, right? Like if I if I took a half penny, no one is going to care. If I take right. a billion half pennies, suddenly it matters. But he does this by staying late one day and turning on his computer. And he does type some stuff with one hand <laughs> on a little bitty keyboard that uh, then makes uh, text start to disappear and appear like one letter at a time to a point where it's a very common thing in Hollywood, right? That the display has some sort of weird effect to it that indicates that, yes, something is happening, like a hacker is attacking or the system is being compromised. Um, once he does that, he types in a command that essentially just says, hey, pay all the fractions of a cent to me. And it's written out in more or less natural language. And then he hits enter and it works. A uh, lot of problems with this. Uh, the big one being natural language, like we just said just a second ago, computers do not understand the languages that we communicate with to each other, not not on their own. They have to be taught how to do that. Right. So, They're not they don't automatically speak English. Yeah. If you ever open up a command line on any kind of computer, doesn't matter what operating system, pick one, whether it's Linux or DOS or whatever, you get to that command line. And you try and type in full English sentences to see if you can make your computer to do stuff, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Right. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it's not like a search bar with Google. I mean, the web has really spoiled us in that anyone who has not had experience with computers before the web was a thing doesn't really understand that when you get to the command line, it's not like a search field. Like you're, you're not. Let's <laughs> say the GUI has spoiled us. Yes, yeah. I um. Side note. Uh, again, I'm old enough where DOS was the way to interface with a computer uh, when I was a kid, uh, or Apple Basic. But I was mostly using DOS at that point. And then uh, you had the Mac come out in 1984. Uh, they took the GUI. They didn't create the GUI, the graphic user interface. They actually kind of took that from Xerox Park. Xerox Park really kind of pioneered that. Uh, then Microsoft came out with Windows, and I resisted switching to Windows for a very long time and eventually broke down to get Windows when it became clear that all the software coming out only would be supported through Windows and not through DOS. And wow. 
And to this day, I'm bitter about that. Because <laughs> I taught I myself all the tree commands, darn it. <laughs> I grew up with Windows since I was a kid. So it was always, I, I started in the GUI, graphical user interface. I didn't start with commands. Yeah, uh, but this is I'm, where Shannon makes me feel old. Yeah, I was born in the 80s, so yeah. oh, <laughs> I think that's yeah. the difference. <laughs> right, that's, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. Go ahead. I love you, Jonathan. I, I love you too, Shannon. It's fine. <laughs> Every 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 co-host I have makes me feel old because I'm older than everyone but one podcaster at this company. So, pray <laughs> continue. <laughs> uh, so I actually liked this Superman three scene uh, because back in the day before I was born, uh, it it was very popular among. Um, people all over the place, no matter what company you were working with, to deal with fractions of a penny, because even a penny in, as a change uh, in pricing would be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So people would be like, okay, well, it's a penny and a half. And uh, I believe at one point there was even a half cent uh, coin that was distributed in the U- United States. So this was a thing. You can still see it in this day and age at ga- gas stations. Whenever you go to a gas station, you see on the sign it says like gas is two ninety five and nine tenths of a of a penny. That's that's a that's from back in the day uh, when they would use these exact precise me- measurements for gasoline distribution at gas stations. Uh, so so that really is a thing. Um, but I. The the whole hacking scenario of this scene is uh, very false. You you can't do a specific distribution of money in that nature. And anybody who has access to that kind of information, who is working uh, for a company, should not have that access in the first place. Especially if they're they're getting paid and they're not like a a chief op- operating uh, manager of that company. Right. Yeah. It's. The the idea that you would have these dumb terminals, like I am assuming they were dumb terminals. I am assuming they were all connected to uh, a main system as opposed to each being individual computers. But either in either case, you would have limitations on what any of those terminals could access. Uh, but because of his leap programming skills, he's able to bypass that and get access to the mainframe. I'm pretty sure they use it as a mainframe. Mainframe, by the way, is also a great general term that Hollywood has misused throughout all the computer films. But uh, it, it's one of those things that's never explained how he does it. It's just a it's just a thing that happens in the movie. Uh, doesn't you know? They're not drawing attention to it. It's not an important thing other than the fact to illustrate that one, he is smart. Two, he doesn't see anything ethically wrong with bending the rules because in his mind. These fractions of a cent, they're not doing anything, right? They're not, right. In, they're not in an account. They're not being used by the company. They're just, a, they're just kind of loose somehow. They're, they're, they're in the company's ownership, but no one's doing anything with it. So therefore, if no one's doing anything with it, no one's going to miss them when they're gone. So that's kind of how he justifies it. Uh, and eventually he becomes one of the, he's more of a reluctant villain in the movie, but he's one of the villains in Superman 3. Ah, okay. It's a, if you have not seen Superman 3, good job. Continue on that track. Don't feel tempted to change that. It is not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> it's better than Superman 4, although my coworker Joe would probably trounce me for saying so. Uh, Super, <laughs> Superman 4 is awful. 
Um, the next move, uh, the next example we have is numbers, which I love just because of the way it mischaracterizes uh, IRC. Uh, which is there's a scene in which people are trying to figure out what these what these hackers, these two different hackers are trying to do. And they don't know and they aren't sure how they're going to track down the hackers and learn what they're trying to do. But then one of the characters says, oh, we got to go on IRC because that's where all the hackers go to chat. And they use handles. You know, they don't use their real name. They use they use handles on IRC and that way they can secretly chat to each other. And then they use this weird, meaningless analogy talking about uh, two ships that are sailing across the ocean and they meet in the middle of the ocean and they exchange illegal goods and then they, they sail away. And because the wake of a ship fades so quickly, they leave no trace behind. That's the same thing as IRC. Uh, they actually did this whole sequence where that, that ship analogy I just talked about is visualized on screen because... Folks, IRC is boring. Like, showing IRC on screen is incredibly dull. So it's way more exciting to have a visualization of a meaningless ship analogy. (laughs) Yeah, IRC is super boring to look at, uh, but it's very fun. You can make lots of friends in IRC. So it is is called Internet Relay Chat, Mm -hmm. so that is a sure thing. People do use LeetSpeak in IRC, uh, even though LeetSpeak is not that hard to read. Right. And... uh, her definition going into the ships made absolutely no sense to me as an IRC user. Yeah. Uh, because uh, when I pop into IRC and then when I leave, my chats are still there and yeah. they are still there for anybody to see who was also logged in at the same time. Yep. So saying that they disappear after X amount of time is not necessarily true because anybody with a very, very simple script can capture everything that was said in an IRC for X amount of time, for whatever time that they they want to save a file for, and then they can upload that file anywhere that they want to. Yeah. So saying that this information disappears is completely false. I I love that there's a – I'm pretty sure it's the same one. I'm not watching the clips as I'm going through them, so I'm not entirely certain, but I think there's a moment – in this where they have a desperate like take a screenshot take a screenshot and and she does it like at the last second before the connection's broken and i was laughing so hard (laughs) at the idea of oh yeah you gotta take a screenshot or it's gone forever um yeah no (laughs) it's it's pretty ridiculous and and there is a funny little exchange where where the lady says like they'll be speaking in leet but don't worry I also speak leet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, screenwriter, you're so adorable. Oh, so funny. Yeah, leet's easy to speak, so yeah. anybody can do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really just replacing certain characters with char- other characters that look similar to the ones you were replacing, and then sometimes purposefully misspelling words because someone some at some point misspelled things people thought was funny. And they went with it. Like Pwn. Pwn is a great example. P-W-N. It's supposed to yep. be own, but someone just did a typo. And then that typo became the word. Yep. <laughs> That's the lovely thing about it. Guys, Shannon and I had so much to say about how Hollywood portrays hackers that we went on for quite some time. So we're going to divide up the episodes and we're going to end part one here. 
the whole thing's already been recorded. But next week you'll get part two where we talk more about some of the bad examples of hacking in Hollywood as well as some of the good ones. So make sure you tune in and check that out. Also, if you want to follow Shannon on Twitter, her handle is at snubs. That's S-N-U-B-S. And if you want to find her other work, it's amazing stuff. You can just go to hack5.org. That's H-A-K, the number five, dot O-R-G. And I'll talk to you guys again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.